Welcome back to Kentucky History and Haunts. I'm your host, Jesse Bartholomew. This is episode 54, A Colonel and a Judge. Let me start by introducing you to the stars of today's episode. First, meet Judge John Milton Elliott. Judge Elliott was born on May 16, 1820 in Scott County, Virginia. At some point, he moved to Floyd County, Kentucky, where he practiced law from 1843 to 47, and also where he married a woman named Susan Smith. From 1853 to 1859, he served in the U.S. Congress, and then in 1862, he represented Kentucky's 9th District in the Confederate Congress, and until the end of the war, he represented Kentucky's 12th District. After the war, he was a judge in Bath County, Kentucky, and then in 1874, he was elected to represent the 1st District on the bench of the Court of Appeals in Kentucky. Our other main character is Tom Buford. Buford was born on September 17, 1824, in Woodford County, Kentucky. He came from a wealthy family, and uh, he was known to be a bit of a hothead. So he had a temper. He was easily angered. Um, There's a story about how one of the family cows was hit by a train, And so the following day, he went out and stood on the train track until the train came again. And then he made the train stop and pointed a gun at the conductor, demanding that he pay him $60 for the dead cow. So that's just one example of how this Buford uh, handled his affairs. He went to Georgetown College for one year. Uh, Then his father got sick, so he had to leave school and help take care of the family farm. As he got older, he decided to buy a horse farm on his own in Henry County. And for a while, he did well for himself and became a pretty well-known figure in the horse racing scene. Uh, But luck ran out. In the late 1850s, Buford had to sell some of his land to pay off debts and multiple lawsuits were filed against him, one of which was filed by his former partner, H.A. Dumesnil. Dumesnil? Sorry, I always struggle with that one. Uh, Buford lost that case to the tune of $50,000, which would look like about $1.5 million today. So after that lawsuit, Buford was convinced that there was a, quote, conspiracy to rob him between his former partner and the court system. And after that, he became increasingly paranoid that people were just out to get him. So, for reasons I'm not quite clear on, Buford's sister Mary was like, hey, you should manage my estate for me since you uh, don't have anything else going for you right now. So he took over kind of managing Mary's estate and things get complicated here. Uh, Mary Buford bought a farm in Henry County in 1867 from a man named George Rowland with a $10,000 down payment in cash plus three notes. One was for another $10,000 and two more were for $6,250 each. So she paid off that first $10,000 note and with that money Roland turned around and bought a farm from a man named James Guthrie. And in partial payment, Roland assigned those two $6,000 notes that Mary owed him to be paid to Guthrie. 
So problems arose when they discovered a problem with the title to the land Mary had purchased from Roland. And then Guthrie filed a lawsuit against Mary Buford saying, hey, you owe me this 12 grand. So she countersued Guthrie saying, wait a minute, I don't know any, I don't owe anybody anything. Roland didn't have the authority to transfer that title to that land to me in the first place. And that money he already paid you, that's my money. So it, it got really convoluted and it was very messy. And this is why our real estate contract is eight pages long now. <laughs> so um, this is kind of interesting. In 1870, a lower court ruled in Mary's favor. But in 1873, a higher court reversed the judgment. And so it went back to the lower court, and the second time around, they ruled in favor of Guthrie. And then to complicate things even further, Mary Buford died on April 21st, 1873. So Tom Buford was now entirely responsible for her estate, and he decided to keep pushing the case to the Court of Appeals to the Court of Appeals where our old friend, Judge Elliot, would help make the decision about Mary's estate. It was five years before the Court of Appeals would hear this case. So it was 1878 and there were two presiding judges, Judge Elliot and Judge Pryor and they upheld the decision to rule in favor of Guthrie. After they announced their decision, Judge Elliot told Buford that he was sorry he couldn't find any legal reason to rule in his favor. This apology, whether genuine or formality, sent Buford right over the edge. He felt like Judge Elliot was such a coward, and he was already so upset with the legal system, this was the last straw. The following year, 1879, he decided to go to Frankfurt to set things straight, to take out the judges who wronged him, Judge Elliot and Judge Pryor. On March 26th, he ran into Judge Pryor at the entrance of the Capitol Hotel. But right as he was approaching, they were interrupted by Colonel Weisinger of Louisville, who asked Pryor to accompany him for a drink. If he hadn't come along, Pryor probably would have been killed. So after that, Tom Buford sat on the steps of the Capitol Hotel, he had a drink, and he waited for Judge Elliot, who showed up around 1.15. Here's how the conversation allegedly went. Buford said, Judge, I believe I will go snipe hunting. Won't you go along? To which Elliot declined. So Buford said, Well then, won't you go and take a drink? And then he promptly shot Judge Elliot several times in the chest killing him instantly. Buford said Elliot was, quote, the most ignominious game that my gun ever killed. There are a couple different accounts of how Buford acted right after the murder. Some said he seemed apologetic and actually said, I'm sorry, to Elliot's lifeless body. Others said he didn't act remorseful at all. Uh, but he didn't try to run away, and he was arrested pretty quickly. Uh, he had a letter on him that said, quote, I only ask that my body shall be laid beside my sister, Mary F. Buford, whom I loved so well, 
whose robbery and assassination I wish to try. So it sounds like he planned to either take his own life or he figured he would probably get killed. As with most midday public cold-blooded murders, there were angry mobs in the streets calling for Buford to be lynched. Um, It's reported that once they had him in jail, he definitely wasn't remorseful, except of the fact that he didn't get a chance to kill Pryor, too. Here's an excerpt written about the case in the Courier-Journal. Quote, It is doubtful whether any murder has been more deeply regretted and caused more widespread indignation since the founding of the Commonwealth. The bench has always been throned in popular estimation as something of a higher nature, something smacking of grandeur and compelling deference. The least slight shown it and the least insult cast upon it have been regarded as a slight and an insult to the people. In this case, not only had the assassin taken a human life, but he had struck a deep blow at that institution which the masses cherish. Judge Elliott was buried in Frankfurt Cemetery the day after his murder, and his epitaph reads, quote, assassinated for having done his duty as a judge. A Courier-Journal reporter was able to interview Buford pretty quickly after the murder and found him to be, quote, lucid and rational. And this was important because the rumor was spreading that he was going to try to plead insanity. Other newspapers were taking the opportunity to poke fun at the state of Kentucky. For example, the Cincinnati Gazette wrote, quote, was not the killing high-toned and regular? Is it a novelty in Kentucky for a judge to sit on a bench under the threat of revolvers if his ruling did not suit? Buford is eminently sane in a Kentucky sense. This one, ooh, this one made me mad. Like, you're really one to talk, Ohio. Anyway, there was another one uh, from the New York Times. Quote, The crime could scarcely have taken place in any region calling itself civilized except Kentucky or some other southern state of the Union. It is particularly and exceptionally atrocious, even for Kentucky, and taking place at her capital, almost within the shadow of her state house, seems to typify her defiance of law, her contempt of common justice. Like, okay, New York. <laughs> so anyway, Buford went to trial in Owenton on July 9th, 1879. Uh, This case would be presided over by, I'm sorry, I'm going to butcher this, Judge McManama. It's M-A-N-A-M-A, McManama. It was over by July 27th, and Buford was found guilty, and he was sentenced to life in prison, which is surprisingly merciful for Kentucky in the 1870s, I thought. Buford's attorneys appealed for a new trial successfully. Same judge, but it was noted that the jury this time seemed to be made up of, simply put, less intelligent people than the first time around. People really didn't take kindly to Buford's lawyers arguing that it was all his legal trouble and his sister's death that drove him to insanity. So this is 
kind of crazy to me. On January 29th, uh, he was found not guilty by reason of insanity, and it was recommended that he be sent to the mental asylum in Anchorage for the remainder of his life. And people were furious. Um, The way most people saw it, a man had gotten away with murder. And it made us look even worse in the eyes of other states. The Courier-Journal wrote, quote, All civilized creation is taking a pop at Kentucky for failing to punish the cold-blooded and deliberate assassination of a member of her highest court because he dared to do his duty. The worst of it is that we deserve it all, and we are deprived of the glorious privilege of jawing back. Later, a reporter from the Courier-Journal visited the asylum in Anchorage, and the doctors told him that they could confirm that Buford was, in fact, insane due to, quote, softening of the brain, and they predicted that he would eventually die of dementia. Uh, And the reporter basically felt like Buford was just doing a really good job at fooling those doctors. So here's what... Buford told that reporter during an interview. (laughs) He said, quote, Lunatic? The devil? I'm no lunatic. Your own mind is not one whit better balanced than mine at this moment. The plea of insanity in my case was simply adopted to cover the great crime of the courts. I waned to try the case upon its merits. I was willing to take the consequences, and in a judging me insane, a death sentence has been passed upon me. I am buried alive. Colonel Buford spent his time fishing at the reservoir at the Anchorage Asylum. He first tried to escape just a few months after he got there, in April 1881. Uh, A reporter found him in downtown Louisville, just sitting out on a relative's front porch, catching up. And when they confronted him, he said, I was just really bored at the asylum. I had to get out of there. So that first time, he lasted about a month on the free. And then he escaped again on October 29th, 1882. And again, he headed towards Louisville. And then he apparently rode a ferry across the river to Jeffersonville, Indiana. And he stayed at the National Hotel. And listen to this. When two guards came to get him, to take him back, he said, you can't take me back. And he was right. Because, quote, Indiana had no law for allowing his recapture, since lunacy is not a crime in itself, and since an asylum is a charitable institution rather than a penal one, he could not be considered a criminal since he'd been acquitted. So they left him in Indiana. And so he stayed there for a while, making new friends. He would fish a lot, uh, hunt and play chess, and he loved to read the newspapers. Uh, He was in the local paper one day for catching a crazy amount of perch in a single day. Uh, The problem, though, was that money was running out for Buford. At the beginning of June 1884, Colonel Tom Buford left the National Hotel and made the decision to return to the Anchorage Asylum, where he died on February 12, 1885. His cause of death was not dementia, as the doctors had predicted, but dysentery. 
One report said he was buried in his family graveyard in Woodford County, although others I found said he was buried at the Central State Hospital Cemetery in Jefferson County. So I can't find anything definitive. Maybe he was moved from one to the other. I'm not sure. Now that's the story, okay? But after I thought I had finished researching this episode, I found one more source. I found this PDF from the UK library titled The Buford Elliott Tragedy with a brief sketch of the life of Colonel Thomas Buford, including a concise account of the celebrated Guthrie Rowland v. Buford lawsuit written from a Buford standpoint. That's what it says. It says, written from a Buford standpoint. I can't figure out who actually wrote it. Um, But it added some interesting details to this case, and I wanted to tell you all about that before I end the episode. So now that you know the story, here are a few extra details. I'm going to start with a quote directly from this pamphlet or whatever it was. Quote, Of 13 children born to Colonel William Buford, Thomas Buford's father, by his wife Frances Kirtley, 12 were reared to maturity. And of these 12, three were confined at one time as lunatics in the Woodford homestead, now Alexander's celebrated Woodburn, while it is affirmed by intimate friends that at least half of the remainder were more or less insane. Indeed, says one intelligent and observant kinsman of Thomas Buford. I am positively certain from my own knowledge that streaks of hereditary insanity have manifested themselves at times in every one of Colonel William Buford's children, including even those generally regarded by the world as virtually sane. One of Tom's sisters apparently would leave the family mansion and just run around naked, This same sister would later, quote, come downstairs to the breakfast table with nothing but a sheet or blanket wrapped around her, and approaching the table like someone swimming, would push the dishes aside and devour her meal lying prone upon the table. One of Tom's older brothers, Sinclair Buford, was arrested for beating a slave to death. He was acquitted on grounds of insanity, but then he apparently beat his lawyer with a cane for making him seem too insane. Uh, I guess he was, like, embarrassed. And then he beat the sheriff for choosing jurors that he knew Sinclair Buford didn't like. So the story goes that that very same day, he went back on trial for assaulting a sheriff And as he shook the bloody end of his cane at yet another sheriff, that sheriff reached for his revolver and fired four shots at Sinclair Buford. And then it said that Sinclair leapt out the courthouse window and took off running for a minute before he keeled over and died. The article goes on to say that this mental illness, and I'm saying that in quotations, can be traced to both the mother and father's sides of the family, It talks about specific family members like aunts and uncles and grandparents who displayed symptoms of, quote, hereditary insanity. It says, too, that Thomas Buford displayed violence throughout his life and that steps really should have been taken to do something about it by those around him long before the murder. 
after the lawsuit over Mary's estate, but before his murder trial, friends and acquaintances of Tom Buford would go out on hunting or fishing trips with him, and they recalled being terrified because while they were out on these trips, all Buford would talk about was this lawsuit, and he would become so filled with rage that they thought he might snap and kill them. So, I thought those details from this extra source I found might make things a little more complicated. Maybe. Um, It's hard to say. So, let me know what you think. And if you have a topic suggestion or I need to make a correction, please send an email to kyhistoryhaunts at gmail.com. If you're not following the show on social media, you should be. It's on Twitter and Instagram at kyhistoryhaunts. There's also a Facebook page and a website, kyhistoryhaunts.com. And if you haven't already, the best way you can support my work, my research, and the recording is by going to Apple Podcasts and leaving a review. Thank you all so much, and until next time.